The final frontier begins. This is about saving the future of humanity. This is a huge victory for the good guys. You've never seen Voyager. Commitment to this course of action is not emotional. Scotty! Beam us up. Welcome to another episode of Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. I am Brent Allen, your host, and I have seen every episode of Star Trek multiple times. And I'm Matt Sonnenberg, and this is my first time through the series. And this is the show where we are watching just a few episodes of Star Trek, skipping a few, watching some more, all in an attempt to condense a whole lot of hours of Star Trek into about 150 or so episodes and trying to get Matt beamed up into the fandom. Come on, Trekkie Matt. I'll tell you what, Brent. I'm really excited to talk about this episode. But Ooh. I'm also curious to know what everybody else out there listening thought of this episode. So be sure to head over to beamyuppod.com and make your first contact with the show. If you do a little recon, you may just find that we also have a Patreon page where you can get even more Star Trek content from Brent and me. Just click the become a patron button and you'll find all the options that are out there for you. Matt, that was very nicely done. I do it. I, I very much like how you did that. <laughs> Today's episode is the 15th episode of season four of Next Generation titled First Contact, or as I like to call it, uh, the episode, not the movie. <laughs> In case you don't remember or you didn't watch this one first, this is the one where the Enterprise is making first contact with a civilization on the brink of warp drive. But not everyone is open to the idea of meeting a new alien species. Matt, this is one of those episodes that I often talk about. It seems like like every star uh, series, every sci-fi series has an episode like this where okay. they're like they're meeting a new generation. But there's that one guy, usually the military guy who doesn't like it. And they, mm -hmm. they have mm -hmm. this this issue. Uh, of course, Star Trek does it a little bit different than everyone else. But Matt. Before we get into the recap of this episode, uh, I'll give you a chance, man. What are some of your overall thoughts on this episode, your opening thoughts? Uh, did you pull any messages out of this episode? What you got for us? It's another weird episode. And I mean, I guess that's kind of what you're going to pull out of this run a little bit, too, sometimes. But mm -hmm. it's it's it was a pleasantly surprising twist from uh, we ventured a little bit outside the norm of of what we even see on star trek because the bulk of this episode i felt was really not from the perspective of of starfleet of the federation right and that was kind of exciting so okay i want to stop you there yeah because i want to talk to you about that just because you bring it up here mm -hmm. okay one of the notes that i have for you about this episode this is the very first episode in the history of star trek where they wrote the story from the other's perspective <laughs> um and this was this was i don't know if you noticed the who wrote this episode uh credit I, I I, I always forget to look at that stuff. Literally. I, I, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I think I did kind of catch it. There's like a whole screen full of names. It literally took up the entire episode because everybody had a hand in writing this episode. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody. And Michael Piller loved the concept. Uh, this was a story that was kind of bought through that open submission policy. Okay. Right. And Michael Piller loved the concept. So they bought it. They went through the story and everybody in the writer's room had a hand in trying to figure it out. And there was a lot of different ways that they were going to go with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ways was they were considered making it like the season ending cliffhanger for season four, like just, you know, adjusting the plot a little bit and 
this being yeah, the cliffhanger. I, I'm not sure how that would work, but okay. Another early script actually had this as being um, Wesley's final mission, and he would get left behind on the planet, and that's how he gets written off the the show, as opposed okay. to just going to Starfleet, uh, to, to, to the Academy, I mean. Um, so they had all that, but ultimately it was Michael Piller who broke one of Gene Roddenberry's rules, and Uh-oh. one of his rules were, you always write from the viewpoint of Starfleet, <laughs> of our ship, of our crew. That's yeah, who you yeah. write the viewpoint from. And so Pillar had to actually go to Rick Berman and convince him that this was a special circumstance and to allow him to write it from the aliens a viewpoint and saying, if we did that, it would make this a really special episode and would help us get a message across. Whereas usually, um, it, you know, the, the alien is sort of the, the, well, the Starfleet is like the stand in for people. Yes. You know, whereas in this episode, the viewpoint is, is actually from the alien cult culture and we're mm-hmm. looking at ourselves, uh, in, in that mirror. Um, and I can't wait to get and talk about that. And Berman agreed under the one condition that pillar would let everyone know that they would never, ever, 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 (laughs) never break this rule again. Yes. This rule would go on to be broken a few more times over the course of the writing. I kind of figured <laughs> Star it might. Uh, but it didn't happen very often. Yes. It happened very, very rarely. But this is this is the very first time. So Once in a blue moon. Yes. So you're 100% right. It, it felt like it was being written from the other's viewpoint. That's because it was. And it's a big deal, the fact that it was. I'm okay with it. I I enjoyed it, and I think it it did give it a little something extra. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm telling you, this Mike Pillar guy knows knows what he's talking about. Not not just from a Star Trek perspective, but uh-huh. from a writing perspective. Like he yeah. he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. So all right, I kind of I kind of cut you off a little bit while you were giving your no, opening no, thoughts. Any anything no, else you want to hit? All good. All right. So um yeah uh this is this is an episode. I tell you, this is one of those episodes that is. I think it's it's very different from ones that we have seen recently um, mm-hmm. where this one is a lot of two people in a room talking. It's not a lot of the pew, 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 pew excitement that we've seen here in, in the most recent episodes. That's true. I, you know? I, I Now that you mentioned it, it, it was a lot of two people talking in a room and we did have a bunch of different mm-hmm. groups or different combinations of those people. Yeah. But it held my attention. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, <laughs> I think this is when Star Trek's at its best. Like yeah. the, the fun, the fun excitement is, is cool for me every once in a while. But when we talk about Star Trek, Star Trek being what the world needs right now, you know, mm-hmm. that, that this is something that the world needs to sit down and watch Star Trek together because it's about people. It's about working out your issues, working out your problems, coming to an understanding, whatever, whatever your problem is, you're trying to solve whatever mirror Star Trek is trying to hold up between us. And usually that's going to happen between characters, not between yeah. phaser shots, you know? Um, and I, I personally think that this tends to be when Star Trek is at its best. It's two people from two different places that are working out their differences, or maybe even in this case, not really working out their differences. Um, but it's, it's, I, I, I love it. It's, it's deep and there's, I can't wait to get into our discussion. I, I, yeah. I really can't. Um, so for that, before we do that, I, I want to give, I want to talk about one person okay. on our kind of character actor spotlight. Now, Matt, I do have to say, I feel like I'm cheating some people because this show was replete with like huge big name guest stars was it? for the eighties and nineties, right? <laughs> Names that really probably don't carry through and, and impact our people today. Okay. For, or, you know, people going forward, but these are definitely some names, but there is one that I, 
that I do want to talk about. Um, probably not for the reason that you think I'm, I'm wanting to talk about this particular person. Uh, but I think it fits th- what this segment is going for here at Beam Me Up. Um, it's, it's an actress named BB Newworth who plays nurse Linnell. Uh, she's the one who tries to help Riker escape and return for a special favor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, d- first of all, did you recognize the actress? No. Did you, do you know the name BB Newworth? No. See, that's a, do you know the name George Coey? No. Do you know the name Michael Ensign? No. No. That's okay. weird that his name is Ensign though. It, it is. It is. Uh, Michael Ensign was the guy that played uh, Krola, the, the security guy. Okay. Uh, he's just one of those that plays a lot, but the place that I do him best is he's the hotel uh, clerk in the first Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> that's, uh, you know. Okay. It, again, that's not really what I'm doing. Anyway, BB Newworth, I don't want to talk about her. BB um, Newworth plays Nurse, Nurse Linnell. Uh, well, her character and that scene was added to the script really late, and it was added specifically for her as an actress. Okay. Because you see, she was a series regular on Cheers and on Frasier, and she played Frasier's wife, okay. Lilith, Lilith Frasier, actually, I guess is her name, uh, or Sternin or whatever. Anyway, uh, BB, however, was a big Star Trek fan. So she has a lot of clout, big Star Trek fan. And you know how I usually talk about celebrities leveraging their fame to mm-hmm. get in connections to get on a show? Well, this particular one happened in reverse. The production found out that she was a big fan, had an idea, wrote this part specifically for her, just the scene, sent mm-hmm. it over to her. She agreed to come over and do the scene. And here she is in our show. Well, there you go. That's it right there. That's the whole whole surprise behind <laughs> that. Uh, so anyway, Matt, we, we've got a lot more to talk about. There really is. George, George Coey, he's the guy who played... Um, um, uh, Chancellor Durkin. Okay. Which, you know, he, he's got a whole list of credits to his name, but I could never get past hearing Robert Stack's voice, who's the guy who does Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> he sounds just like that host to me, but it's not. It's not the same guy at all. Anyway, um, Matt, this is the part. Why don't we go ahead and jump into this episode? Uh, we'll go through it Let's scene it. by scene. You stop us and tell us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's going on, what stood out to you, what questions did you have along the way? You know, what are your that. thoughts as you're experiencing this episode? First Contact, episode 15 of season four. Prologue, a patient is being wheeled through an emergency uh, through an emergency room on a gurney but this is an alien hospital the aliens don't understand this patient his organs don't seem to be in the right place and he has fingers and toes they don't pan up to his face and this guy looks an awful lot like a very bloody william Riker. that is possibly the shortest open we've ever had in an episode that I can think of. Except for maybe Best of Both Worlds. Remember that one? Like they just beam mm. down to a planet and go, oh, nothing's here. It's the Borg. Dun, dun, dun. Even that one, I think, yeah. felt longer at least felt longer. than this one Fair did. Enough. Yeah. Because this one, yeah, they, they literally like wheeled him in and it's like, yeah, he's not normal. Uh-huh. Okay. Credits. Right. I like, uh, so one of the things they really took care of, and, and we'll go ahead and mention it here, is as you say, they're writing this from the perspective of the aliens, not from the Starfleet perspective. And this this alien society is supposed to be us in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe just a couple of years behind us. So everything is supposed to look familiar, but it's got to be just a little bit different at the exact same time to where it still feels like it's from an alien society. And and, and, and we'll get into a few things here and there that I note along the way, just uh-huh. the little things they do to uh-huh. say, hey, they're different. I mean, mm-hmm. early on, obviously, their looks, the, 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 the hands in particular are what right. you get to see most often uh-huh. that look like they have a mitt. 
hitting on the entire time, which I found interesting mm-hmm. that that was, you know, Riker's disguise was wearing mittens right, <laughs> to, right. To, to cover his fingers. It's like, yes, you, you all wear mittens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I even like the part where they're like, oh, his digestive organ is not in the right place. And they're like poking around like where his lung should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like his heart should be down in his stomach. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Right. So anyway, that was, that was the thing they took. They had to take really good care to try to try to try to balance that. And, and yeah. So, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. Act one, the patient is starting to come around. He says his name is Rivas Jakara, but this is definitely our William Riker. He's trying to get out of there, but he's in no condition to leave. The doctors have some questions about all of his abnormalities. Riker says it's just a birth defect, but I'm really from a faraway place and I have no family and you won't be able to reach my normal physician either. Oh, and that thing that looks like it might be a, a weapon. Uh, it's just a gift for a child, eh, like a neighbor's child. I know I don't have any family. The doctors clearly are not buying a story, but he won't be going anywhere for a while. So they leave him to rest. Riker is super deep undercover here. Yeah. Like I, by the end of this episode, you, you get the idea that, yeah, this is not something that they do every day. So maybe there was a little more planning and preparation that went into this mission than your average missions. Like, Oh, we got a distress call. Let's beam down there. It's, Mm -hmm. it it was very much, we've been tracking them for years so we can plan for this. And now's, you know, now's the week before we're going to go down there. Okay. Riker, you're going to be the one to go down now. And so we got to get you all set up with your face and Mm -hmm. like, because like this, his face had like surgical implants. Yep. I'm like, okay. Oh, have, okay. Let me ask you about that. Have you ever seen this before? Where where they go in and they just alter a person's appearance to look like whatever alien they're they're looking at? But really, we know that it's a human. Have you seen this on Star Trek in, yet? In Star Trek, no. Yeah. Okay. And, and and that 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 was one of my first thoughts. It's like, wow, they 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 really went into this. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, mm-hmm. but given the circumstances. I don't think this is something they do all the time. So I was going to ask you, yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is this something that they've done before? Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you which episode or where, do, even do, if do this we, is the first time in like Trek. Do see but the process? A lot. Sometimes we do. And it's usually just them waving something with a light over somebody's head as sure. you know, some effect happens or whatever. Um, or usually like we catch them at the tail end of putting the finishing touches on it, which uh-huh. is just a light waving over the head. But I mean, it, the idea that they can go in and cosmetically change somebody is like super easy in the world. Like they take anybody, make them look like a Klingon or like a, a, a Cardassian or a Romulan or, a you know, whatever the Malcorans, like they, they can do that with anybody. And they'll, they'll tell you like, it's just cosmetic. If they check your DNA, it's not going to line up. They're not able to change your DNA, you know, but this is all just sure. the cosmetic cosmetic features they can they can change those with no problem and then they'll change it right back at the end why didn't they change his hands Ah, (laughs) just like yeah fuse his hands the fingers together it's all cosmetic right so that's what i'm saying like you probably could have left the feet because i mean what are the chances they're gonna check your feet might have been harder for him to uh grab i mean imagine like if if push came to shove he had to grab that phaser you imagine him like flinging off those glove hands with like like a hockey player does with his (laughs) gloves and all of a sudden he's got digits yeah. Uh, anyway, do you have anything else from that particular uh, opening piece? Not so much, no. Okay. Well, out in the hallway, the doctors aren't exactly seeing eye to eye on what to do. 
One of the doctors wants to notify Central Security. It's all the space flights that they've been conducting. It's attracting these creatures from outer space. The head doctor doesn't want to cause a panic. So let's just be sure of a story before we do that. Let's take this slow. So yeah, that that it's all the space flights. They've attracted the creatures from outer space was kind of my key to okay i get what's going on here now you you, you've kind of explained this to me before Mm -hmm. and now i'm getting to see it firsthand and what do you what do you mean i've kind of explained it to you you mean me i've kind of explained it to you yes okay what do you mean um like you you, you've when you've kind of gone into explaining the prime directive for, gotcha. for the record uh-huh. I, 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 I probably bring it up again later but uh-huh. this is if you ever need to explain the prime directive to someone i would give them this episode actually at least yes. out of what i've seen mm-hmm. have you let me ask you this and and i'm trying to rack my brain through all have you had a prime directive episode before i think it's been like the words have been uttered once or twice great but i don't think the by the way what you've just discovered now with the prime directive that's why this episode is in our run because <laughs> because there's been a handful of prime directive episodes throughout but none of them are as good as in my opinion or explain it as well and show even the reverse side of it yep. as well as this particular episode which is why this one really is in it plus there's also i i think what i hope to be the discussion we're going to get into this later as to whether or not they did the right thing or not um or or you know what effects this may have i hope we get there we'll see where it goes <laughs> but uh yeah this is this is definitely the prime directive here for sure yeah because it's, it's like, like you've explained that to me a little bit and, and and how like i know you've mentioned to me like once like they they won't touch them until they've discovered warp right and i think in this conversation they they may have mentioned warp or the warp program or something like that or maybe that's coming up shortly but uh literally in the next scene yeah yeah so it's all the pieces were coming together for me a little bit at this point. It's like, okay, I can see where this is going now. Mm-hmm. I understand why, why we're, you know, seeing this from the aliens perspective and everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to make a little more sense here, but one of the little things I mentioned 29 hours a day. Oh yeah. Right. Just, just little, little tiny thing, uh-huh. but it's like, Oh, this is not earth. This is not right. our universe. This is not our civilization, our planet. Mm-hmm. They have 29 hour days. There you go. There you go. Well, we're still on this world because we haven't gone to outer space yet. And we zoom over the Capitol building. It's in the chancellor's office. Marasta, the chief scientist of the planet, is discussing the impending warp engine test. The security officer, Krola, doesn't think this is a good idea. It'll pull them away from their traditions. However, Chancellor Durkin is a forward-thinking man. He orders the test to go forward, and as soon as they're successful, he promises they'll slow down and let everyone catch their breath. Yeah, I don't think that's how things work. Right. <laughs> right. If you have a successful test, people want to push forward. Sure, sure. Um, I, I like this scene because, I, I mean, we're really inter- introduced into the three sides of this. You have the the, mm-hmm. the scientist who who, you know is doing anything and everything she can to push it forward Mm -hmm. and to, and to make this thing go forward. You've got the, uh, you've got the, the security officer who doesn't and, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what is this going to do to us? And you know, we're, we're all going to die and the world's going to end because of it. And then you've got the chancellor who could honestly go either way. Yep. You know, got the Um, scientists, the military and politician. Hey, do you recognize that little, that little triumvirate (laughs) there existing a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That little id, super id and ego thing going on there. 
Yeah. Anyway, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Later that night, Marasta, the scientist, is all alone in her lab. At least she's only alone until two strange looking aliens appear out of nowhere. She's frightened. They introduce themselves as Jean-Luc Picard and Deanna Troy. They're aliens, different aliens, although they look really similar. They've been monitoring their progress towards warp drive, which is why they chose to introduce themselves to the society. They usually start with scientists who are generally more readily accepting and can help their society accept the new reality. And in case she needs more proof, Picard can prove it to her. She accepts three to beam up and they all disappear. This is a fantastic scene. I I love how they handle themselves in this scene. And I don't know that anyone could do this better than Picard. That, that, that there's something about his demeanor, his tone. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'd believe him sure. if he just showed up in my office right now <laughs> and said, hey, He'd follow yeah. him to outer space. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, it started a little bit here. The feeling gets stronger later on, but mm-hmm. that this is, a, they are both explaining mm-hmm. and poking fun at all of the, the I, I don't even know what we call them, alien chasers, for lack of a better term. There, there's probably a better term out there. But I, I get what you're saying. I, I don't have that term myself, but I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And th- throughout this entire episode, I, I, I get this. And it's like, you know, if you tried to explain this to someone and by at the end, at the very, even at the very end of this episode, that's mm-hmm. like, how are people going to react? And they essentially what they do is just explain, at, you know, New Mexico. Right. <laughs> like, right. That, that's basically this half of this episode, like one side of this episode is, is like, you know, people who live in New Mexico, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it, it's, it, it was fantastically done. And, and just, just to hear them kind of put logic to that mm-hmm. viewpoint right. is interesting. Right. Well, let's continue. Act two, Picard and Deanna are showing Marasta around the Enterprise in orbit of her planet. She has clearly accepted that they're telling the truth, but she wants to know how they know so much about her. They tell her all about observing all about all the observing they do prior to making first contact. Hey, name check for the episode, <laughs> including surface reconnaissance. And they have a person who's missing. His name is Riker. But you and I already knew that, Matt. Mm-hmm. They asked Marasta for help in locating Riker. She's willing because she knows that they must get to him before word of this gets out. Their society believes that they are the supreme life and the center of the universe. And there are those that will resist the change that will come with being introduced to an intergalactic community. She also asked Picard to withhold this information from Chancellor Durkin when he meets him as he will assign Krola to investigate. And if Krola investigates, bad things are going to happen. A couple of things here. Sure. I hate to think how you would judge us based on our popular music and entertainment. (laughs) And I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, I'm sure you guys thought it was bad in the eighties and early nineties. You have no idea. Uh (laughs) You know, you know how I knew I I was finally getting old, Matt. Yeah. Was when the music that was on the radio made me want to poke my eardrums out so I couldn't hear them anymore. Yep. I really, I like, I just, I've always kind of been a hip guy, like a cool guy when I, when I just got too old and I, I feel old just saying it now. Like it just, ah, that's I, not music I, today. I understand. It's not even I'm, music. I'm right with you. Right. I'm right there with you. Right. Right. But I'll, hey. I'll go rock everything from my teenage years. Absolutely. And it was amazing. And this is, my parents didn't know what music was. This was music. 
and like the 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 funny part is like i i I love the 90s Mm -hmm. i grew up in the 90s i love everything about the 90s i in particular the music and i find it hilarious that i i feel like i listen to this music all the time and like i'll mention a song from the 90s to my dad and he's like yeah don't know that and and we've just determined he somehow missed the 90s (laughs) even though he was raising three kids in the 90s right that you know listen to this music i'm like oh okay sure (laughs) i don't don't know how you missed it but yeah so I, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, where you and I are at now a little bit where, uh-huh. you know, your kids may be enjoying that music on the ra- that's on the radio right now. Oh. But then oh. uh, we're like, yeah, no, no. You know, you know, what gets me right now is my kids are still a little too young to listen to music on the radio that is popular today. Sure. Right. So I try to fast forward in my mind like the next I mean, I mean, my boy is probably five or six years away from kind of taking that taking on his own generation's music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what music is going to be in five or six years. Well, I and where it I, evolves. I, 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 I'm hoping for, you know, what goes around comes around. Oh, gosh, more yes, things please. change, more they stay the same type of scenario You're here right. where, where we'll circle back to that 90s alt rock. Uh-huh. Like I, I, I'd be a OK with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm so with you on that. Oh, um, what do you think about this idea that Marasta is um, asking them? Don't tell the chancellor about this. Let me handle this. Don't go do that. And of course, we know how it plays out in the episode later, yeah, and, and we'll yeah. get to that. But in this moment, what are, what are you thinking about her actually asking that question? Is that a good question, an appropriate question, really, for her to ask? It, it's a very bold request. Yeah, for someone who's just met these people, like, and she has a lot to take in right now. It's kind of actually surprising that she has that on her mind, even like not, I would think most people, myself included, probably would just be trying to process what's going on for yourself and what it means for you, mm-hmm. much less how anybody else is going to react to it. Right. And so I need her to have a talk with Guinan before she goes to this step. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So that, uh, that's, I mean, obviously there for plot reasons, but it, it's, it's, something that if I were Picard, I really mm-hmm. don't know how I would handle that. Right. But it's probably a good thing I'm not Picard. Like I I think he handled it in a very Picard way. Sure. Because he he as he goes on to like tell the Chancellor, like we'll abide by your wishes essentially. Whatever you decide, that's mm-hmm. what we'll do. Right. Like we're not going to interfere. So uh, like th- with Picard's coming into it with that mentality. Mm-hmm. So I can see why he would kind of accept that request. But yeah, obviously looking back, I am maybe not, not the best idea, mm-hmm. but still, I, I don't know that anything would have played out much differently. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, this is one of those first clues where on my subsequent watchings of this episode and my understanding of the prime directive and what it takes for them to introduce into introduce a society into the intergalactic community as it mm-hmm. were um you sit there and gotta go maybe they're not ready like like if because part of the idea of earth was before we hit warp drive if you remember the story goes is that the earth had finally set aside all of its differences and humanity united yeah and and the warp engine was built and then that's when we met the vulcans and 
you know, things started happening and we may or may not ever get more details of how that whole thing went down. However, that's, that's kind of the idea. And, you know, we'll, we'll get there in a few minutes, but Picard even goes to say, Hey, usually everything's kind of groovy when we get to this point, but your society is not quite there yet. Uh, in fact, yeah, we, we, the only yeah. reason we're talking to you right now is because Riker's missing. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those clues. I think when you sit here and you go, now, wait a minute. Uh, this, this to me says you're not ready to enter. Sure. Yeah. If it's anything, a, you're not ready to enter the Federation. That, that, that was, yeah. should have been a big red flag for Picard. Yeah. It's like, if, if you're making a request like that, you're telling me mm-hmm. everybody's not on the same page, which means that even though you may be ready, not everybody's ready. So we need to hold off. Your a world bit. isn't ready. Yeah. 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 Your world's not ready. And, and to be clear, and, and this is occurring to me right now, just to separate the two idea, two ideas. And I don't know if this occurred to you. There's a difference between making first contact with a civilization and inviting a civilization, uh, and inviting them to be part of the Federation. Sure. Like one can happen without the other, you know, they, they aren't, well, they aren't I mean, the same essentially thing. did in this episode. What do you mean? I, I, I mean, well, technically they made first contact, right? However, by the end of the episode, they're not inviting them. I mean, they did invite them, I guess, technically, well, no, not even officially, I guess. I like, I don't know how mm-hmm. official of an invitation you need to the Federation. I would assume it's has to be fairly official, but mm-hmm. I, it, like they, by the end of this, they're, they're not a part of the Federation. And, but mm-hmm. and that first contact has been made. Like you can't go back right. on that really. Right. Right. Well, we'll just have to sit around and wait for second contact. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Yes. Let's stay with the story with where it is in its own timeline. Back in the hospital, whispers and gossip are flying everywhere. The head doctor wants to keep this quiet. This guy is still a patient and they are responsible for his recovery. He goes in to see Riker. I mean, Mr. Jakara. The doctor is has checked up on Jakara's story and turns out none of it checks out. Riker tries to keep up the ruse, but the doc isn't buying it. Hey, buddy, if you don't start telling me the truth, you're going to be in danger. Over in the chancellor's office, Marast has brought Picard to meet him, which is something she thinks he's going to clear his entire schedule for. <laughs> so one thing I forgot from the, the previous scene, too, just quickly, they believe sure. that they are the supreme race in the center of the universe. Oh, yes. I'm glad you brought that back because we have to talk about that. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean... This is just one of those moments that screamed to me. It's like, you're talking about Earth. Yeah. You're talking about the U.S. <laughs> yeah. It's how's that mirror looking over there, Matt? Yeah. And just how he like lays it out there so bluntly. I'm like, yep, this is, or, or wait, no, that wasn't Marasta does. Yeah. It was Marasta. Not now. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking it was Dorkin, but no. Yeah. yeah. Marasta. Like she, she, she throws it out there. It's like, this is what everybody believes that like, that's something they all agree on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, obviously, I mean, it's understandable to a point. I get it. Like if, if you live in a, live in a, on an Island, especially back in the day, you know, Mm -hmm. pre-internet era, if you were born on an Island, you grew up on an Island. Why wouldn't you think, you know, this is all there is. This is, you know, I'm the king of the Mm -hmm. world. Right. And so when they have this planet out there and they are all they know, and they're thinking, yeah, I, I, we, we can see these other planets out here. We, we know there's other space, but 
you know, no one's come to see us. So we are the end all be all. This is us. So they, they, they're yes, setting the stage very blatantly mm-hmm. for us here. It, it, it makes me wonder when they say a phrase like we are the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Is that literal or is that more metaphorical for her or and for their people and their society? Because like e- even here on Earth, we knew a long time ago, long before we ever even got space travel. We're not even close to warp travel yet. But long time ago, we were not the center of the universe. We learned that we actually revolve around the sun, right? We learned all these other things. We but, are not the but center. There was one point when uh-huh. people thought otherwise there was but not at this point you know not not at a point where we're close enough to be close to warp travel okay i mean okay i mean i mean let's let's face it <laughs> but they're in a ship orbiting their planet and nobody has spotted their ship with a telescope or, or a satellite yet but 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 <laughs> yeah, once again is this maybe just a little tip say you know 29 hours a day what what if their universe is different and they are the center of it i suppose i suppose just just I mean, throwing I, that I, out there like i i, I think it yeah. is more metaphorical in in the grand scheme of things i i would lean more that direction but i think mm-hmm. there is a possibility that they could be at the center of their universe they really think when and to be fair and and i'll say this and and I had a science teacher one time explain to me mm-hmm. this. And I'd, I, if you're a scientist out there and you understand how crap like this works, please email me and let me know if this is right or wrong. But the the general idea of like gravity is like, like the gravity is the, the, the force of attraction between two objects. Okay. Right. Like, and, and the idea being like the earth is pulling on us just as much as we are pulling on the earth. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the way that it's, it's, it's a force of attraction. It's, it's, it's a magnetism. I get, I guess it's a magnet. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, the point being that, um, so, and everything in space is moving, right? Yep. So it's really more about whatever you fix your point, whatever you call your fixed point. And like, if you look at the way, like our star charts go and everything, every like earth is a fixed point and all of our charts, like, like our constellations and everything all are from our fixed point here on earth. Sure. And like, if you go somewhere else, sense. everything changes changes well yeah. sure it does right well yeah yeah because um, i mean like if you i i mean i guess the closest thing the the moon right if, uh-huh. if you're standing on the moon you can't look up in the sky and use the moon as a point of reference right exactly right like you you, you have to switch things around you 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 look up and you see the earth as a point of like Mm-hmm. you look at the reflection of the sun off the earth right and so yeah i, I like i get that but uh the the so i mean in the center of the universe discussion like i can see uh-huh. it going that way too but it, i mean it, it also defines how, how do you define a universe like that that's something i've never thought about actually giving me me a, a straight up definition <laughs> for right like right. what what is a universe is there a universe? Maybe it's a multiverse. <laughs> no, it's uh, no. I mean, I mean, you're right. But uh, I do. I, I do wonder in this episode when they say that, though, I, I bring mm-hmm. all this back to that. Do they really think that they are the center and everything revolves around them literally? Or is this more of a met- we are the supreme life and everything metaphorically revolves around us? Yeah, I, I because mean, we we are the top dog. Yeah, I definitely think that they well, like you said, it, it, they're holding a mirror up to us, right? right? And so the 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 uh 
Malkorians. Yeah, mm-hmm. Malkorians. They are sitting there on this planet. Mm-hmm. They, they've explored their planet. Maybe they, they've been able to, you know, take pictures of other planets. Like we, mm-hmm. we can do that. We haven't been to all those planets, but we have pictures of them. Right. And they haven't seen signs of life, life anywhere else. So they're, they're very much like us and say, hey, there's no one else out there. We are mm-hmm. the center of everything. Like, yeah. like everything's revolving around us. Sure. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it is, like you said, it, it, it's, it's, it's Earth. Yeah. Except what Malkorian 4 or 3 or whatever planet we're on, Matt, it, it's, it's Earth without Star Trek. <laughs> Nobody can sit down and watch Star Trek on their planet. And that's why we need Star Trek. So we can see stuff like this. Yes. Uh, and then we have podcasts about you, it where you, we can discuss you, it. You make a good point, too. They, they did mention Malkor 3. And they, I don't think they ever quite clarified if that's the planet they were actually on or if it was a different planet. Uh-huh. Uh, but because I mean, they obviously have some form of space travel. They like yeah. warp was not their first form of space travel, <laughs> right? I, they can at least go into orbit of their yeah. own planet and maybe to their moon. Yeah, at least. Yeah, I I, I found is, by it, the way if, about all we're doing right now. So, yeah. so, so, so like uh, Melkor three, I find it interesting that they even use the three because wouldn't we be we are the third rock from the sun, right? Yeah, and so yeah, whatever you know, outsiders would would ref however they would reference our universe our solar system mm-hmm. whatever we would be whatever three as well and so that's just mm-hmm. a, one more nod towards hey yes we're talking about you that's interesting that, that's very very interesting uh you put it that way um yeah so the doctor goes and talks to uh Riker, and what i love about this doctor at this point is we he he says this he says this guy is still a patient <laughs> And his response, and and we are responsible for his recovery. Yes, thank you like, for bringing that up. Regardless of what he is, we are. You know, we need we need to do right by him. It, it, and we we see this a couple of times here, and it, it's very much the same attitude we we have here as sure. far when it comes to you know medical staff and such. And especially, you know, in Starfleet, it's always like, I don't care who you are, where you're from, we're going to take care of you. And it's interesting to see that it the the, the same ideals come through in in their culture as well. Like I I would think that wouldn't be the same everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see that that they they wrote that into here. I mean, it's very good for Riker's sake considering how close to death he was apparently like i like i that's one thing i never really fully grasped until really like crusher said it right at the end like yeah it, you know if we were any later he'd be dead I'm like like i never really felt that i mean once again I don't feel that we're going to lose Riker, at least not like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, there has to be some epic battle scene that we actually get to see if, if they're going to kill off Riker. But right. so, so I guess that's part of the reason. But it's like, I, I just never quite grasped like how close to death he was because right. like he, he, he would wake up from time to time. He was talking. He was, you know, still trying, still undercover, still trying to, you know, holding up his story. And I'm like, uh-huh. okay, yeah, it's Riker. It's all good. He was, uh, he was up enough to perform, uh, uh, questionably, but yeah, it's uh, that, yes. that, that seems to be it. Yeah, 
Right. I, I like I, right. I I I do kind of well we'll get there. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Act three, up on the Enterprise, Picard's doing the whole tour thing again, only this time it's with Durkin, including a stop by the local Android, and the Chancellor would like a word in private. The local Android. Before that word though <laughs> Before that word, Picard is pouring a glass of wine. You know, the old forty seven given to him by Robert back in the episode called Family. A quick lesson on what a toast is, and it's down to business. He doesn't trust Picard. History is replete with conquerors who began with the words, we are your friends, we come in peace. What is it you really want, Captain? He says, a beginning, Captain Picard says, but how we proceed is up to you. And if we say no and ask you to leave and never return, then we'll leave and never return. Then he quotes from the prime directive to the chancellor. We do not interfere in the natural development of planets. That also includes not sharing technology, which could be harmful and destructive. The chancellor's feeling a bit overwhelmed, but in the end, he thinks this is probably a good day. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know if you intentionally included family just for this callback. But no, I would not include yes. an entire episode for one callback. No, it's 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 very fortunate that we had that because if I didn't, that would be a very weird scene. I feel <laughs> Fair like enough. okay. My brother yeah. has these things called grapes, and like, <laughs> <laughs> like obviously to me, grapes are an everyday thing. Like, and it's not right. not anything weird. So it it just. It felt weird that he has to like explain them We're like well i guess yeah maybe on their planet they don't have grapes they don't grow grapes they don't make wine and maybe i don't know i mean it seems foreign to this guy so yeah i guess he's right in assuming that they, 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 they've done their research he knows that so mm -hmm. but yeah just the fact that like he has a brother he grows grapes he makes wine what <laughs> like all, all, all these just little things for this one scene it's like me seeing that one episode may like made this scene feel a lot better there you go. in any case the, the the big portion of this scene you speak the language of diplomacy well but i've learned not to always trust it mm -hmm. that one made me think a bit because okay yes picard is is extremely diplomatic especially when you contrast him with kirk but <laughs> okay <laughs> but it, it's I, I I've never really thought about trusting him or not. Cause like, like I kind of said at the beginning of this episode, if Picard mm -hmm. showed up here and gave me that speech, like, uh, yeah, it was a lot of diplomatic talking there too, but I would have trusted it, I think. Mm -hmm. So this, this, this chancellor brings up an interesting point that, yeah, sometimes you know, diplomats will say what they need to say, say to tell you what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. they, they're smooth talkers, diplomats. That's what they are. That's what they do. If you're playing D&D, &D, they have very high charisma. <laughs> but it, right? it's, as Picard brings up, trust takes time and experience. Mm -hmm. And you can tell right then and there, this is not Picard's first rodeo. This is not his first experience with the first contact. And it's it's fantastic to see this play out. Like I said, not that not just that we get to see it, but that they're really taking this from the aliens' point of view mm -hmm. and how they they might react and and or how they are reacting. I guess you could say. And we get some more of that inner dialogue when, you know, the crew of Starfleet, you know, the crew of the Enterprise isn't there. We get mm -hmm. those discussions as well. And I think that that's a huge, huge part of of this episode is we mm -hmm. get those behind the scenes talks 
Right, right. The the idea where he says, you know, history is full of conquerors who came mm-hmm. saying the words, uh, we come in peace. Yep. Right. That's one of those things that when we even look at our own history, yep. I don't even have to talk about us right now today on this planet. I'm just talking about our own history mm-hmm. in this country throughout the history of this planet. That is true. Oh, yeah. You know, our our own history is replete with people who've come saying, you know, uh, I, I come in peace. In fact, Matt, there is a documentary that is super popular right now on this thing called Netflix. If anybody in the future is watching this, you don't know what that is. It's a video streaming service where the whole crux of the documentary is this guy winds up partnering up with this other guy who comes as a friend and then winds up like taking everything that this dude has and sending him up the pokey. Um, so it. it it, it's this interesting thing that they talk about lots of people come in peace mm-hmm. and, and like, I don't know about you, but I think Durkin is right to be a little leery of this. I, I, I you know, I, I, I understand that, but I also wonder how many people that say they come in peace did have uh-huh. that in mind when they came, uh-huh. but then someone from the the place the planet the civilization the country whatever mm-hmm. that they're they're interacting with mm-hmm. they have a uh, uh, Krola amongst right. them who right. is going to say hey no this is not what we want we don't want to work with them they're only going to be bad things for us so I'm going to incite a riot I'm going to start a war mm-hmm. even though I'm going to sacrifice myself yeah yeah and that that's what that could be what sets things off whereas if it was, if it's just Picard and and Durkin mm-hmm. if it was just those two who were making the decisions they they would totally go forward right they, they would totally work together. They would totally move this thing into the future. And so that makes me wonder, you know, in all these other, you know, historical times we're talking about, could we have similar, could could there have been similar situations where the mm-hmm. leaders of the people were just fine, but someone in the background steps up and says, no, we're going to take, make a sharp left here and, and change the course of history, literally. Right. I, I think that there's something to be had here. And I think it's the failing that we ultimately see on the part of uh, Durkin, especially, but the Malkorians as a, as a society, as a whole. And I think where, where so much of the messages of Starfleet, uh, of Star Trek from episode to episode are, hey, do it this way. I think the message of this episode is ultimately when we get to the end, hey, don't do it this way. <laughs> don't be like this. You see yourself here. Don't do what they do. Like, I, I think that might be the message here because while Durkin is true, history is replete with conquerors who came who came saying we are we are peace i think you're right matt there are people definitely who are like yeah but we're gonna we're gonna pull a left one over here and actually you know come up with some shenanigans of what's going on Mm -hmm. but there are also others who the people who came looked straight in your face and said yeah we come in peace but we're gonna take over everything that you have here and 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 that's why people are wary of that exactly but i think but the problem is and see, here's the thing. If we didn't know, yeah, let me back up. If we didn't know Picard and Deanna and Riker, mm-hmm. like, cause as the viewer, we know them. And while we're watching this through the eyes of the, of the alien culture, we're sitting here saying, no, you could trust these guys. These are good guys. We know them. Mm-hmm. You can trust them. But Durkin doesn't have our viewpoint. Sure. He only has his sure. viewpoint, right? And, but, and Kroll and all them. But, but that, the, the question is, why, why does he doubt that? What history is he drawing from? He's not drawing from Earth history. He doesn't know Earth exists. 
Sure. So, but th- th- whatever their history is, th- yes, and th- that's what I'm saying. They've had that. Th- they've yeah. had those bad apples in their societies, right? In whatever confrontations they've had before, there have been those bad apples. You, you can't tell me mm-hmm. that the the first people that ever, uh, well, maybe it was the first people. I don't. know. Maybe they started off on the wrong foot. But I was going to say the first interaction between two cultures that ever came on that planet. You know, mm-hmm. one of them turned on uh, on each other, and so mm-hmm. from that point on, it's like, well, when someone says we come in peace, we can't trust them. Like, right. they, they, I, I have to imagine, you know, the first few interactions were good, where everybody's getting along, and then, you know, someone comes up with the idea. It's like, no, I can do better. I can, you know, take over everybody. But everybody's too nice here. We're going to do things my way. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they that that's when they pull the first, you know, we come in peace and then destroy everybody. Mm-hmm. And and I think the the problem is so so look at it from this standpoint, okay? From what you and I know, mm-hmm. right? What laid in front of Durkin and the the world of Malcor three if they would have said yes? If they would have embraced the Federation and been able to join the Federation, like you and I sit here and see what could have been. Mm -hmm. And, and this episode in the end to me is heartbreaking because they say no to that out of fear, Yep. you know, and we'll get there. Like, like Durkin kind of tries to come up with a plan to get them there. It's not shutting the book totally on it, but still (laughs) they say no out of fear. And it's, it's based out of old ideas of, Oh, we can't do this because we're scared. Yeah. And, and that, to, to kind of, I think, circle back to around what you're saying, Matt, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on it, but I think, I think the, the big idea here is, is listen, when somebody comes and says, Hey, we come in peace, you should be leery of that. You should have your guard up. You should have your antennas up, but you shouldn't let it stop you from pursuing the possibility of that piece, you know? And I think that's where, where Kirk would come into this. Yeah. And I don't often reference Jim Kirk (laughs) (laughs) in in these, in these shows, but I think back to like, uh, uh, what is it? Um, the, the Corbomite maneuver mm-hmm. when, Hey, here's this guy who says he's going to kill us, says he's going to kill us, says he's going to kill us. And now his ship's disabled and, and is about to blow up. We have a chance to go over there and save him. And, or we could just let him blow up because he's been trying to let us, he's been trying to blow us up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, Kirk sits back and says, no, we actually, yes, there's, there's a possibility of things going wrong here. Bad things could happen if we go back and try to help this guy. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Maybe this guy could be a new friend. Yep. It's worth the risk. It's it be be leery, be cautious. It's worth the risk, though. Yep. And don't let fear hold you back from what you could potentially have. Yeah. Do your due diligence. Yeah. There's there's a reason yeah. we've come up with that phrase, due diligence. Right. Right. But I I I feel like I've been using this phrase an awful lot lately. Take mm-hmm. the crop. Take precautions, but don't overreact. There you go. That's great. Yeah. And I don't and I don't think anybody would expect these guys to just be like, oh, you're aliens. You're here. You're 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 here to help us do everything. Well, come on in. Let's show you. Come on. Have a seat. Let's let's go hang out. Uh-huh. What are we going to do here? Just just waltz on in. That's that's obviously yeah. not what we want to no, have happen. No, you, you know, take right. precautions, do your research, you know, find uh-huh. out what you need to know about these people. But like you said, I, 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 I feel by the end of this, they're almost taking a step back from where they were. Mm hmm. Because yeah. you said oh, I, they, I, I, 100 they were they absolutely they, they're were. in fear yeah and they let that get the best of them yeah and that's and that's the thing when you operate from a place of fear that's when you you literally move backwards and you don't you don't get to go forward as a society and uh yes once again matt 
I think we, if we hold this up to our world today and let's fast forward to a year from now or five years from now, when people are coming back, listening to this podcast, whatever it is, if you're operating in fear, look around your world, you probably see that it slows down your society. You have to operate from a place of optimism, but be smart about it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Be wise about it, but it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Hey, why don't we get back to this episode here? What do you say, Matt? Ooh, oh, it's this scene. (laughs) Down in the hospital, Riker is trying to escape from his room as a female nurse walks in just as he's trying to put a table through a window. She says she'll help him under one condition and one condition only. She wants to make love to an alien. It's his only way out of there. She wants to be the first Malkorian to experience the full Riker. (laughs) So I love when he he gets caught and he has this like big metal bench over his head. And like (laughs) he he tries to be like Joe Cool. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to set this down on the side here. (laughs) There's no no, Riker. I'm sorry. you, You you're super awkward. That was absolutely the most awkward thing I've ever seen you do. But <laughs> I, okay, I understand that there that you, you weren't getting out of that one. You got caught mm-hmm. red-handed with a bench trying to smash a window. In any case, yeah, I didn't see this uh, escape requirement coming. <laughs> I think, Matt, this is what you have when you got a bunch of dudes back in the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s, sitting around a writer's room. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, so so we don't actually get to see it. Obviously, it's network TV. I have to wonder, though, she knows nothing about their culture. Riker uh-huh. has warned her that it is different. Like they do things uh-huh. differently. Right. He could have made anything up. He absolutely could have. Well, he could have just given her a hug. Yep. And a kiss on the cheek yep. and said, yep, that's it. I I, right? I, I, I mean, or, I mean, if you want to get weird about it, like, you know, bite her ear or something. I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's, Put a little Klingon loving in that one. Huh? <laughs> I yeah it, it, it's like the, the, there's nothing saying that he actually did what we think he did uh-huh Cause, I mean like I said they, they, uh, as they told us early on they're obviously uh-huh. very anatomically different right so who's to say anything would work at all you know yeah and I think I, and that's that's a part of the uh I think that's a part of the joke of this that's a part of the nature of this <laughs> You know, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't want to get too far yep. down this because, you know, whatever. But, but the, uh, yeah, the, the joke, though, as they did in in the best way they could without being too, uh, you know, rom com is they, they let Riker have the line. Or maybe he, he, he talked to one of the writers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he essentially said, uh, yeah, I'll call you. <laughs> right i was like okay yeah Uh yes this this is the the star trek version of yeah don't wait i'll call you Uh right (laughs) right uh some time passes we'll say Mm -hmm. and they're uh done she walks a little wobbly need out of the room helps Riker escape but unfortunately Riker gets caught on his way to the elevator he puts up a bit of a fight but he quickly succumbs to the to the number of his opponents and it completely reaggravates all of his injuries especially those to his kidneys and now he's bleeding internally the head doctor that we still don't have a name for I believe breaks up the fight ordering him to an ICU type thing and says it's time to call central security word is about to get out yeah i as we're said like uh 
this is this slowly going to a bad place. Mm-hmm. The more people find out about it, and the more that well, has Crowell gotten involved at this point? Not yet. He's about to. Okay. He's very much about to. Yeah. 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 That that's when things really start heading south. Well, let's let's get there. Act four. It's council meeting in Chancellor Durkin's office. He's just relayed to everyone what his conversation with Picard consisted of, and just as Marasta predicted, Crowell is freaking out. He recites his old argument of the Chancellor taking them too far too quickly, and he would die to protect their old ways, their traditional ways of life. And then Durkin spills the beans about Riker. I'm sorry, Krola spills the beans about Riker. There's an alien spy that's been sent to infiltrate them. Durkin is taken aback at the thought of a spy. Marasta confesses that she was the one who told Picard not to bring it up to the Chancellor. They've been here for years, collecting information. Aha! Krola says, they've been here for years, influencing our young, stirring up dissidents. It, 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 it blows my mind and once again goes to show just how uh, this happens in our world too sure and it frustrates me to no end yeah. but where did he get that he, he's just making assumptions and everybody's taking his word at face value it's like mm-hmm. oh they're influenced Sarah young like what mm-hmm. where, where did anyone say anything about that mm-hmm. i mean how about you're, you're the head of security here they've been here for years what have you been doing mm-hmm. i seriously dude like this this is your job to keep people safe to keep you like if they've been here for years you undoubtedly have interacted with some of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are you up to? Why haven't you done anything about this problem? If it is a problem, like you say it is mm-hmm. influencing your young. I, I, I it, that, that did not come in the report you just heard. It did not come from Picard. It did not come from Riker. No mm-hmm. one has said anything about that in this entire episode. Mm-hmm. So you're just making up stuff on the spot and making the situation a whole lot worse. But I, I have to say... Marasta was spot on that as soon as Krola gets his hands on this, it's go- it's going to be the end of any peaceful, you know, mm-hmm. transition here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to rehash everything that we just had. I, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if we had our conversation just a little too early uh, in this episode, <laughs> but I mean, this, this, this shows us exactly what we were just talking about. What, what happens when you let fear control and you get into all this, what if, what if boogeyman, boogeyman, take everything to the nth degree, which is just, it's dumb. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just dumb because that's not actually what happens. And whenever people look at something they go, Oh, well you can't do this little thing because then all of a sudden it means this big mountain of stuff that'd be really, really bad. And you're like, no, it doesn't actually mean that. Um, let's, let's bring it back and look at reality. But that's the kind of stuff that keeps a society from being able to move forward yep. and, and from experiencing what could possibly lay beyond and, and from moving forward. And, and uh, that's what we're going to see as we come through the, uh, the episode here mm-hmm. over in the hospital, Krola orders the head doctor to bring Riker out of his coma, even if it means killing him. The good doctor refuses based on the grounds of the Hippocratic oath, which apparently is more universal than we ever thought. <laughs> Bottom line, he ain't going to do it. No problem. Krola says he'll find somebody who can replace him. Also universal. <laughs> there you go. Uh, back in the chancellor's office, uh, Picard. Oh, go uh, ahead. Oh, 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 I, I, sure. I, I just realized he used the word universal. I did. 
as in okay multiversal that's what i'm getting at here it's like breaking down words once again and uh-huh. it's like universal meaning it's the same everywhere within this universe because that's like the biggest thing we know right so yeah for 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 me to right now to say anything is universal is kind of weird or if it, it, it'd be more true actually mm-hmm. i i vote that we start saying multiversal that no it's not i, I will not help that catch on <laughs> back in the chancellor's office picard beams in the chancellor isn't too happy to see him he knows that they've been spying on them picard understands right away they found Riker. At which point, Picard takes full responsibility for not telling Durkin about Riker. Picard then goes into a long diatribe on why they try to learn about a culture before introducing themselves. A first contact mission is one of the most dangerous missions that they can embark on. They never know how they're going to be greeted. In fact, that's why they got into a war with the Klingons in the first place. Hey, there's a little bit of history of the future. Mm-hmm. Picard knows that it was controversial, but he also believes that it has prevented more harm than it has caused. This world has been a special case. All of their reports led them to believe that this world would react negatively to their arrival, which is why they had hoped to, to find Riker first. Picard admits that was a mistake, but you know what wasn't a mistake? Admitting his mistake. Durkin appreciates the fact that this new alien race isn't perfect, that they're actually, for lack of a better word, human. But despite a direct request from Picard, they will not be releasing Riker at this time. First questions first. Mm -hmm. Does the process of beaming actually have an audible sound? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) And I, yeah, I don't know. Like they, they, they always play it for us, obviously, and I, uh-huh. I, I fully understand that. I have no problem with them doing that, but I, I, I'm starting to think that it doesn't. Yeah, I don't because, think it does. I always feel like that's just a special effects. Yeah, because yeah. especially when they, he beams into the chancellor's office here, mm-hmm. and then he just turns around. I'm a little surprised he's not more startled by it, uh-huh. especially especially given that there's no sound. Uh-huh. And he just turns around. And it's like, oh, there's dude standing in my office how'd you get here Mm -hmm. like he didn't even see him beam in i don't think i think he had his back turned Eh, saw him in a reflection of the glass (laughs) well okay if a reflection just appears out of nowhere that Mm -hmm. that's kind of weird too in any case it's pretty awesome so uh Picard makes a really good point, though, that there is no Starship mission more dangerous than that of first contact. Mm-hmm. Another thing I, I would not have thought of, but he, he at least makes a very good argument for it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. Right. But like he, he makes a very good argument towards it. And and that that's kind of what we see in this episode, too, is how cautiously they have to approach things now, mm-hmm. especially after I mean, less caution than the Klingons. I mean. It probably didn't help that the Klingons were the Klingons and are already a little bit, you know, war based. <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, <laughs> like, like, yes, okay, if things had been allowed to go south here and, and Riker dies and a war starts, things would have escalated out of control a little bit. But I mm-hmm. don't think, I still don't think they would have been as aggressive as we know the Klingons to be now. Right. So that, I can see I can see it going either way there, but um this scene though is really where I started to like the Chancellor. Mm-hmm. I, I 
I, I was, you know, kind of riding the fence up to this point, but I, I, I really, really like his character. Yeah. And he, he I think you, you mentioned a few times he's very open-minded. Mm-hmm. He's willing to listen to logic, which it, you get an A plus from me if you're willing to listen to logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then even more so what many, many people never do he put himself in Picard's shoes mm-hmm. and, and and not just mentally, but like told Picard that basically. And it's like, I, I, I can see it from your point of view. Yeah. I can see why you did what you did. And by the end of this conversation, I felt like he, he was almost having fun with it and like mm-hmm. they, they're getting to be real chummy. And it's like, yeah. I, I, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. I, he, he, he's going to stand his ground and take his stance, whatever that may be. But as we've talked about with Picard, he kind of explore all options, mm-hmm. right? He, he's doing a little bit more without uh, his crew around him and that, that we see at least. Uh, he, he does obviously by the end is take input from the ministers, I guess they're called surrounding him. Mm-hmm. They have like the minister of security and the minister of, it's very British, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um so the, 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 there is that he does take some input like we would see from Picard, but I, I, I just love how open and logical he is. Yeah. I mean, Krola is, is he is doing exactly what we just said a few minutes ago. He is being cautious. He is being wary, but he's also taking the risk. He's embracing this. He is moving forward in the right way, which makes to me his decision in the end that just much, much more yucky. And I understand why he made the decision he does in the end. And we'll get there in just a second. But um, I, I just don't like it because it's just the potential. And I think that's that's mm-hmm. part of the heartbreak of this is because the potential is so there. And, you know, he has this line at the end where he says, I, you know, hopefully we'll both be around when that happens, when they when they get back together. And I'm like, yeah. you neither of you are young yeah (laughs) (laughs) how long are you thinking this is going to take seriously Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and that that, that's interesting too because it's you can feel that durkin wants to go there Uh uh-huh but 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 he he he's he's trying to keep everybody else in mind Mm -hmm. yeah and like you 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 keep talking about like the potential that Mm -hmm. is there and I think that that's the other important thing to consider is, well, uh, Marasta saw it first, mm-hmm. but Durkin saw it as well, that they were both taken up to the Enterprise. Right. And that is a huge thing. Not, not only just to see the, the, the teleportation, the beaming process, mm-hmm. which they obviously don't have because it, it, it was a surprise to them you know, when everybody, you know, goes in and out of rooms and she, she's like, uh, when she was on the Enterprise, I'm like, I would like to, uh, uh, beam back to my planet. Right. <laughs> it's like you know, this thing you call beaming. Um, so like he's firsthand seen a lot of this potential. And that, and mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about warp drive, but everything that's come past that, you know, hundreds of years of technology past that. And so it's not just theoretical potential that mm-hmm. we're talking about here. It's he's seen it firsthand. It actually exists. This is what you could become potential. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, act five. Hey, just before the commercial break, the new, the head doc had been relieved and a new doc had injected Riker with some drugs to revive him. 
As we come back from commercial, Riker is waking up in his hospital bed. He's super groggy and can barely move. Krola makes the introductions. Hi, I'm Krola. You're Riker. Yes, you really are Riker. Riker asks for his people, but Krola has more questions to ask first. While he asks some of those questions, over in the Chancellor's office, Marasta has been summoned to see Durkin. He gives her a pretty good dressing down and tells her that he will release Riker, but only after they've interrogated him. Marasta makes a plea on behalf of Riker, laying it out for Durkin. If you let this interrogation go through, he's going to die. Well, almost as if on cue, back over in the hospital room, Krola tells Riker that he's lying. You just haven't been here on a peaceful mission? After all, people on a peaceful mission don't have weapons like these cool toys that you brought. To which Riker pulls out, a, or to which Krola, I'm sorry, pulls out a phaser and shoots something across the room. Riker represents an end to his way of life. Krola can't let that happen. So he must force the Chancellor down the path of not maintaining peace with these people. At which point Krola puts the phaser in Riker's hands, points it at his own chest, and forces a helpless Riker to fire. So I don't know how much uh, training this guy has in mm-hmm. the you know crime scene forensics, but mm-hmm. it, it, he 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 doesn't really plan this out very well. Well, you know, they, I guess they don't have CSI over there yet. <laughs> yeah, apparently that that's a few years off. I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, it's an interesting plan, and I I, I mean. Just th- this is where we see once again just how evil. Mm-hmm. Like I, I hate to slap that label on him, but how evil Corolla turns out to be because he he he's one of those guys who he thinks he's sacrificing himself to save his people. Uh huh. But he's the only one that thinks that. Well, the At only one that we that see. Yes. Well, no, that I mean, that's I don't know because that that doctor that replaces the head doctor. And I'm sorry, I don't know that they actually said each other's names. It's, it's probably I, I, I don't think they did. I don't think they did. Um, but you know the the underling doctor that becomes the acting director of mm-hmm, the facility. Mm-hmm. I think he's very much in line with Krola. You know, and Krola says, "Hey, there's a whole lot of people that will guide you in this way of life." I, but I, I actually, a, actually, yeah, hold on, because yeah. he, 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 the the acting doctor did have a name because it was the same name they mentioned out in the hallway earlier. Uh-huh. Um, that they didn't want, or, 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 or um, when the the rumors started floating around, like the, the he was talking with like the nurse or someone, mm-hmm. like that we're trying to keep this quiet, and it's like you know so and so, it was it was that name who 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 is the acting director too. Um, cool. I don't yeah. remember what it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I I can't come up with the name now, but yeah. it, I, I do remember that they brought it back and it was there the same go. guy. And so, yeah, he was kind of inciting stuff already. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, once again, th- there is a reason that uh, uh, he was brought in to replace. Like, mm-hmm. y- you know, that wasn't just a random assignment. That was exactly who Krola wanted. But sure. It, but I have a question for you about Krola. Yeah. All right. We we talked about best on our, back on our best of, best of both worlds episodes. I want to say it was that one where the best villains are the ones who think they're doing the right thing. Like the best yeah. villains are the heroes in their own story. And I think that's very clearly what uh, what Krola is here. And I'm not going to defend it, the it, idea that he's a villain, but is he really it, evil? Though, Matt? Well, you see, and, and I, 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 I paused right after I wrote that in my notes. I'm like, Krola is evil. I'm like, ah. I don't know that I actually want to call him evil. Yeah. He, he, he just he, thinks he's he, right. Like he look, he looks like a bad guy from one point of view, mm-hmm. but from a different point of view, particularly his, but you, you can see it from someone else's point of view as well. 
like from my point of view, I can see that he's he thinks he's doing the right thing. It's it's very much he thinks he's the hero of his own story. I mean, like if he was trying to do something for personal gain to seize power just because he wanted to be in power and he's going to keep people behind Mm -hmm. because of that, that's evil. Um, If he you know, if he is seeking to hide his current abuse of people uh, because if this gets out, then then he'll be exposed somehow. Mm -hmm. That's evil. Right. But I don't I don't know that he's being evil as much as he's misguided yeah so so, i mean uh, turn this 180 right and so so, like i i I, my instinct to call him evil is kind of because you know he's 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 going against the flow he's going against Mm -hmm. the main authority figure Mm -hmm. right but we swing this around to you know our superhero movies right okay or um I, mean, I think even like you could talk like Batman or uh, Green Arrow, I think is a good one that it always kind of has a jaded point of view sometimes because sure. um, they're often referred to as like vigilantes. Right? right. And so that's kind of the reverse side of things. It's like people we look at and call superheroes or vigilantes. They are they're not once again, not following the law mm-hmm. to the letter 100 percent. They're not allowing the powers that be the powers that are above them to do their job and make the decisions that need to be made necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're taking things into their own hands. And some people People look at that and say, yeah, great. We're behind them. We love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But then you look at like, uh, you know, whatever law enforcement or military or government that is above them. And they, they always kind of look down on them and it's like, man, we got to stop those guys. Mm -hmm. They're, they're breaking the law just as much as the next guy, you know, just as much as the guys they're, they're killing or capturing or whatever, Mm -hmm. like they're breaking the law too. So we need to stop them. And, and so, so that's like from the good side, you know, like I said, we call some of those people superheroes. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in someone's mind, Kroll is a superhero. He's taken things. He's a vigilante. He's taken things into his own hands, mm-hmm. going uh, circumventing the law. And in, in this case, the chancellor and doing what he thinks needs to be done. So, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And like, mm-hmm. I, 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 I will fully admit that I struggled to call him evil, but I didn't have a better term at the time. Fair enough. Fair enough. So after that, after fire, cue a whole flurry of action. But in the end, Crusher shows up just in time to save Riker and Krola, who only actually had the phaser on the stun setting. Morast and Durkin understand that Krola wasn't trying or understand that Krola was just trying to become a martyr. Durkin takes Krola's hands, paw, flipper thing. <laughs> and hearing Krola's pleas do not establish peace relations, Durkin says he knows. He knows. Over in the ready room, Durkin tells Picard that his people are not ready to accept aliens. They have to slow down. They have to give people who are more backwards thinking like Krola time to accept it and join us in the future. It even means that the warp program is going to be delayed. So we'll take those resources and pour them into education, development, prepare people for the day when they are ready. And then he asked Picard the question we don't want to hear. He is asking them to leave. Picard doesn't like it, but he respects it. He regrets that they won't have the opportunity to get to know them any better. Durkin says his people are a good people, but they have to get over their self-importance. For now, they'll just have to enjoy that sweet innocence. Rasta knows that Durkin is right, but she has one last request. Let me go with them. Picard tells her that she may never return home, but she insists that she's ready. Picard accepts. 
and they bid a farewell to Durkin. Durkin returns the good tidings, hoping that they'll both be around to renew their friendship when they come back together. The end. So one quick Trek tech Uh question statement. In this episode, we see, we actually don't see a lot of the communicators because it's like said a lot of from Mm -hmm. the alien point of view. Sure. But towards the end here, I don't know if you've noticed or thought about this too much, but it's what I do. (laughs) So Crusher Uh uses her communicator to talk to Picard. Uh Do you remember where they were? Um, she, was she in, oh, was she in, in sick bay Picard over, were they on the ship or was she down on the planet? I'm pretty sure they're both on the planet. They're both on the planet. Yeah. Sure. Cause she was saying, I need to take them to sick bay. Picard was in with the chancellor and he gets uh-huh. the nod for the chancellor saying, yeah, that's okay. You can take Krola too. Yeah. So I'm not going to argue with it because it's their technology, but it, it, because it, it, I mean, honestly, we could do this today. So mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. But back then, to think that, hey, we can make our communicators work when neither of us are on the ship, we can still communicate just badge to badge then. Because uh-huh. that, I mean, because that means the sound isn't playing from the ship. The sound has to be playing from their badge. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 I, I found that interesting. Like, like I said, I'm not arguing with it because it, it, I, I don't think it's technology that existed back then, mm-hmm. obviously. And so for them to kind of be that forward thinking and say, hey, this is going to work someday. I like it. There you go. But yeah, it's uh, asking Picard to leave, man. That like, yeah, you had to know. Actually, no, I didn't. I didn't know it was coming. Uh I was honestly hoping they would they would join. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Like I I, I was hoping the chancellor would overrule Krola and not give into that, but mm-hmm. that he would have done what he needed to do as a leader and lead his people into it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and, and on the other hand, you can sit here and say, listen, he's not telling them to go away forever. He's just saying not yeah. right now. And I'm, we've got to get our people to a spot where they're ready to accept it. The, and not uh, just the scientists, but he, actually he, everybody. He basically said that it's like, I'm ready. My people aren't. I need to get my people there. Right. Otherwise, like he almost like I have not that he's failed as a leader, Uh but I think he probably would have felt that he he failed his people if he tried to push them before they're ready. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, because I got to tell you, how is the Federation going to know when to come back when the time's ready, except for they're going to continue to come back and put people on the surface dressed up like my courts (laughs) and just go back to what they've been doing until we see that you're ready. Because honestly, at that point, you have to you have to establish some sort of diplomatic talks with with the other people, even if you don't talk to them a lot, like even if it's a state secret and you're not telling anybody about it, it still has to be there. You've got to have some sort of a, a whatever. But anyway, I don't, I, Matt, I think about this for me personally, anyway, I think I've said everything kind of about this ending sequence way, way up earlier in the episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, um, we've talked about a lot, a lot of it. Yeah. So, uh, all right, man, well, I'll, I'll give you a chance. Any final thoughts in this episode before we close it all out? Um, I, I, I do think it's cool that, that Marast makes her request though. Yeah. Yeah. That, and like, I honestly, think she has I, to go. She has to go. Yeah. And but, honestly, Darkin probably should too, except he's staying behind. <laughs> yeah. Then you have to find a new chancellor mm-hmm. and who, what you going to leave Kroll in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I, I understood like it, it, it took me a little bit by surprise when she made the request. 
mm-hmm. but I fully understood why she did. Right. Especially once can I set it from the fir- her first interaction with Picard. I was surprised at the, the request she made, but I guess what surprised me even more is that Picard agreed. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Cause I, I like not that she, she wasn't ready or he, he didn't want her, but I guess it's a little bit in my lack of knowledge of how do these things happen? How do these things work? Can someone just join the enterprise? Like, okay. Yeah. She's going to have quarters for a while, at least on the ship. But is that just until, you know, we get back to our planet or to a a station where we can drop you off and then you Mm. can go through a process to join us officially or, like how or do we have a work? new crew member on board the enterprise matt yeah yeah i don't know mm. and you, you said wesley was gone by this point right yes he is mm-hmm. yes he is we'll find out next week matt is she a new member of the crew or is she one of those people we'll never see her again or will she <laughs> pop up like chief o'brien every once in a while like it, it i I'm, don't know i'm not going Only to you or, know. or like guinan you know uh i do know actually no matt the rest of the star trek world out there knows that's true <laughs> it's up to you to find out so with that why don't we go ahead and transition uh, out of this matt um okay i'll ask the big the big question did you like this episode is this an episode you'd want to watch again and do you understand why this one was in the run of episodes that we're doing here uh the very limited run here? <laughs> yes yes and yes fantastic um, now, Matt, I was actually going to ask a question, but I think our conversation just sort of led to it. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll check in with you and say, hey, are you hooked yet? Have you become a Trekkie? Um, I, I did want to find out and maybe you can speak to this just a minute before we get out of here. Um, I know that when you watch these episodes, you watch them differently than most people would watch these because you're you're watching the episode trying to consume what's going on. But you're also taking notes. You're formulating your thoughts for what you want to say here on the podcast when you're watching these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that it's more than just consuming the show. But I do wonder, do you find yourself at this point in Star Trek, not just watching the plot and the action, but also thinking and interacting with that mirror that they're trying to hold up or like what they're trying to say? Do you find yourself doing that naturally these days or how how are you watching Trek differently? Maybe 35 episodes in 36 episodes in um, than you were maybe at the beginning. I think I do try to watch for a little bit more proactively than I did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a lot of times I just kind of sit back and let the episode take me where it will. Okay. And if they've done their job well, mm-hmm. that mirror hits me in the face. Gotcha. I mean, like the, right. this one was a no brainer, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the, 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 it was very blatant from the beginning, mm-hmm. what they were talking about, who they were talking about. And, and the points they were trying to make, I think. And obviously, as we go through these, there, there's oftentimes multiple points that can be made. Mm-hmm. But I think even if you just get one point, one little detail, one scene that smacks you in the face, they're doing their job. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Matt. Well, uh, that being said, I can't wait for you to watch the next episode. Oh, boy. Uh, I I will tell you this next episode. Um, I don't want to say that it's a heavy episode, but I'll say it's a thick episode. And I, I can't wait to dive into it with you. But we're moving. We're going to skip several episodes. We're moving to an episode called The Drumhead. Yes, Trekkies, The Drumhead. You guys know which one I'm talking about. Uh, but we are heading to that. Matt, I've got two extra viewing episodes, though, uh, that are happening in between First Contact okay. and The Drumhead that I want to give you. The first one is called The Nth Degree. This is our second Barclay-focused episode. 
episode. We are going to be skipping it. We'll come back around to Barclay. But in case you're interested, I know you liked that character a lot. Um, This is a Barclay episode. Okay. And the other one is called Cupid, spelled Mm. Q-P-I-D. And I'll give you a guess as to who that who's in that one. All right. All right. So now I will I will say this. Uh, I gave you an extra viewing episode a bunch of episodes ago. I want to say it was season three, maybe season two, probably season two. Uh, there was an extra viewing episode I called, I gave you called Captain's Holiday. Uh, Q was yes, not a part of that episode. He is a part of this episode, obviously. And this is sort of a part two to that Captain's Holiday. So if you do watch this and you didn't watch Captain's Holiday just on your own, I would mm-hmm. recommend doing those two together. But I w- I'll leave okay. those in the extra viewing realm for you. Sure. Uh, but the next episode we are doing here on the main show is is the drum head uh now with that matt i guess it's going to do us for this particular episode um hey what'd you guys think of today's episode what'd you guys think of our discussion um from right here with first contact what do you think about where we went with fear and uh you know was durkin's decision the right decision Email us, let us know. Beamyuppod.com is where you can get all of our contact information. Matt, where can the folks find you out there on the internet? Uh, you should head over to Twitter and find me at as a matter of Matt. And if you guys want to get in touch with me, I'm at Brent Allen Live across all the social medias. Would love to connect with you. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.